the Lord Jesus tonight. Maybe we could just sing that old song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Aren't you glad for that, dear friend? Amen. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and You 
atmosphere tonight. Brother Tom is going to come and lead us in prayer tonight. Just invite him. Just hold your needs up before the throne of God, the throne of mercy. Amen. God bless you, Brother Tom. So 
wonderful to be gathered in the house of the Lord. There's a couple of uh, requests that we've been asked to pray for. We'd like to pray for Emily, or Emily Arrowwood has asked us to pray. Um, her grandpa has passed away with COVID complications this morning. And her dad, Brother Tim Arrowwood, which I know personally, is in ICU with pneumonia in both lungs. They would wish that we'd pray for their family at this time. Another prayer request we have, of course, is for Brother Tim Pruitt, for the assembly, for his family, the passing of Sister Karen Pruitt this day, this morning, Sister Mary Karen Pruitt. She crossed the veil between life of mortal into the realms of the immortal, Brother Tim had texted me this morning. Sister Karen, as we know her, was 62 years of age. She was a dear sister. She was a wonderful sister. She was a friend to many here, to our sisters. She was a strength in her quiet way. She was a strength and a major part of Brother Tim's ministry. We would like to keep the assembly in our prayer, Brother Tim Pruitt, especially in our prayers. He has blessed this assembly for many, many, many years, from Kiwamis to today. Many of you do stream or see his meetings. He's been in this assembly, preached at our camps, been a part of our assembly. We are one in heart and spirit. We love him dearly, and at this great loss of his wife, Pray for him and Brother Timothy Pruitt, who also has been a tremendous blessing to this church. And daughters, of course, Lydia, Esther, Bethany, and their husbands. We want to pray God will give the strength and, and peace that he's in control and he does all things well. So if you have a, a need in your heart also, let's bind our hearts together. He's a mighty God. He hears us before we even speak. We need to start having compassion one for another. These are tremendous trying times. But our God is the mighty conqueror. And he's a very present help in time of trouble. So young people, if it was your mother tonight, you'd want to be praying for your daddy and pray for the family. Let's pray and put ourselves into the into the shoes, as Brother Michael was preaching the other day, of that person that's standing there. And meet the need of God. Heavenly Father. Tonight Lord Jesus we. Are praying for our dear brother Tim Pruitt. A precious brother. A servant of the living God. A pastor of a church. A Lord whose influence has gone around the world. Father tonight I pray that the comforter would come in a very special way. Truly you are that high tower that the righteous can run into and are safe. You are the God of peace. You are the God of comfort. You are the God of the shalom. You are the God that is a very present help in time of trouble. Lord Jesus, at the loss of our dear sister Karen, she was a soldier of the cross. She stood faithfully beside her husband. We pray, Father God, that you will minister to all of her children and grandchildren and to the assembly so often Lord the pastor's wife will sit there 
And Lord, maybe sometimes unnoticed, but Lord, she was a great soldier. She was stalwart in her quiet way, strength. To those that were around her, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will comfort the assembly, comfort the family. That you will move in a special way at this time. As the scripture says, we do not sorrow as others, yet this is a loss. I pray that you will be a strength and help at this time and season and junction of our precious brother Tim Pruitt. You understand all things, Lord. We might not understand it, but you understand. And I pray, Father God, that you will lead Brother Tim and guide him into the perfect will of God at this time and junction in his life. We do love him with a great love. We give him honor and respect as a servant of the living God. Lord, at those times that he'll be alone, I pray that you will never leave him alone. You are that friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And Father God, if you would just put the arm of your presence around him. And let him draw strength from the great I am that you are. Our sister Emily Arrowwood has asked that we pray also now for her father that is in intensive care. Who's got COVID, double pneumonia. That's what the doctors say. But you are mighty. You are the worthy one. You are the holy one. You do, you are the mighty one in battle. And I pray God that you will raise brother Tim Arrowwood up for the glory of God. Lord, this COVID, this spirit that has gone around the world, I curse that thing in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, that we would stand protected in this assembly and those assemblies that have been affected. I pray, God, you will move amongst them. You are the great I am. And so, Lord God, we commit all these needs to you. Hands that have been raised, I pray, Father, that you will minister to their need. What a move of the Holy Spirit we've been experiencing amongst this little local assembly. I pray, God, you'll continue to move, deal, and speak, and save, and deliver those that come within the house of God. I pray tonight for the word of God that will come forth. I pray, Father, that you will anoint your servant, that you will speak to us, Lord, that we haven't come casually on a Wednesday night, but we've come with intent and purpose to hear, thus saith the word of God. May it come forth in power and demonstration. May we just put away our lethargy and, Father God, come with purpose and determination to hear from the very throne of grace. Father, we commit all things now into your care and hands, saying, Thy will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brother Michael. Amen. God bless you. Just going to, just a little quick announcement as we come into camp. Maybe just uh, coming off of the prayer requests, there's many. Needs as we're still dealing with the, the COVID and all of the impacts of it. And we're coming into camp here and we're just wanting to be as very careful as we can. Um, there's a lot of COVID going on around in the States right now, unfortunately, and just in different variants, etc. And uh, so we're just wanting to be 
um, careful. We're bringing many of us together uh, on the state side and on and those that are traveling on this side. And so I'm just uh, asking that everybody be very uh, conscious. Uh, we put it in our notes a little every year, and anyone that's maybe not feeling quite well, um, just uh, maybe stay at home. And so we usually do that each year. Um, and we've, we've dealt with little flus going through our camps before, and we've had people in sleeping bags and uh, out on the grass and trying to work their way through it. And so we do, we've been through these processes, and just with a little bit of a uh, little more awareness, of course, with what we're going through, we, we don't want to disrupt uh, the camp at all and, and to cause any unreasonable needs. Uh, and so we're just asking we've, uh, anybody that's coming out of town, we've asked uh, whether us in Canada, we all need tests um, to come into, into, the, into the states. And so we're also asking anybody that has, has traveled locally here and on the state side uh, from the local congregation, if you've been out of state, and uh, have been traveling abroad uh, throughout the states just before you come to camp, please also just uh, maybe get, uh, please get a test just to keep everything as, as um, careful as we can within reason um, because the last thing we need, there's a lot of disruption and uh, say, well, you're fearful. It has nothing to do with fear. I don't fear it one bit. And so you can just take that out of your mind right this moment if that's what popped into your mind. But it's a major disruption for everybody. And it causes a lot of issues as we would try to come back from the border for many of the Canadians and disrupts our brothers and sisters from work. And so we want to have some uh, some compassion and some care and respect towards that. And so we just want to take as, as the precautions as we can. So we're just asking anybody that's maybe been traveling within the local congregation as you come back from that, that's fine. But maybe just uh, we'd ask you to just get a test and take that out of... Uh, for you and, and for me, because I'm the one that's going to get to talk to you if there is an issue after, and we don't want to go through that uh, process with anybody. We want to have a wonderful time. Amen. So we just uh, keep that, please, on the front of your minds. Keep us, everyone, in prayer. Uh, but our, our Lawson is, uh, is, I'm sure, ready, and uh, so are we. Uh, we're just going to take what the Lord's been doing here, and we're just going to take that expectation there. And uh, I know that those that are here, you're going to keep pulling from here, and we'll pull from there. And in spirit, we're going to have a wonderful time. Amen. God bless you. Day star shined down on me. Verse 1. Lily of the valley, let your sweet aroma fill my Yeah. Uh-huh.
tonight, Lord Jesus. Have the preeminence, Lord God. We're hungry and thirsty, Lord. We want more of you, Jesus. We need more of you, Lord Jesus. Have your way, have your way. Can we sing that little chorus? Have your way, have your way. The one we've been singing. Have your way. Maybe we can all stand together. Have your way. Holy Spirit, fill our hearts and have your way. As we wait. As we evening well we have a treat tonight our brother Jean Manassi is going to be speaking to us I think that's a great a great event saints a great event brother Jean has been a, a great part of our assembly for the last nine ten years brother Jean when he came here he was coming to school and he came to church he dedicated his life and started to stir of God within SFU. And we don't have to look to SFU. We just look to the stir of God that's happening right now. The different ones, brother, gave that have, you've been touched and you've touched others and you've brought them to church. And it, I, I don't know whether brother um, Jean Manassi will say anything, but there was a couple that was here, not last week, the week before. Is that right, Gabe? 
Sunday and Toby, is that right? And Brother Gabe's been witnessing to them. Dan has been witnessing to them. David Adamora, Brother Jean, and they came to church. And Brother Jean was just telling me, he says, they, his wife and him has made a decision. This church is wherever they want to be. But the wonderful thing is, his wife, Sister Toby, she was looking around the church. Of course, it's maybe a little bit different. And she was looking at the different ones here, and, and she noticed Sister Precious. She noticed that they, Brother EBA, they had gone to SFU, and she was at SFU when these saints were at SFU. And how does God bring a person to the very assembly of people she went to SFU to graduate from and then end up in this assembly eight years later? I say the Holy Spirit is doing a great move of God. Amen. I think it's wonderful to see these young men raise up. We just want to open our hearts and say, Brother Jean, preach whatever God's put on your on your heart tonight. Brother Jean, when he was at, at SFU, I just wrote down a few names. Brother C- Stephen Keery, uh, he's now uh, ministering the Word of God. He started a little church in Nigeria. We've been in contact with Brother Stephen, Sister Lily. She also came in through the witnessing of the Word of God at SFU, and they're married. Now they have children. We have Jemai, Sister Precious, Brother EVA, Sister Fortune. What a, what a wonderful heritage we have. And I don't take it lightly, saints, that God would use a particular vessel and then keep on using him. And I just say, tonight we're going to have Brother Jean Manassi come and just pull on the word of God. And I, Joanne and I went up to ask if you, Brother Jean, you can make your way here. If you can hear me in the pastor's study. We went up to the SFU meetings and Brother Jean was preaching. And Sister Joanne had said to me as we were driving home and she just reiterated the other night when I told her I've asked Brother Jean Manassi to speak. She said the greatest service I ever heard on truth was the service Brother Jean Manassi preached at SFU. That's quite, that's quite an impression. And I just pray that the Holy Spirit would take Brother Jean Manassi, remove the man, and let the Holy Spirit come and take control of this service. Have your way. Just have your way. tonight Lord we love your word we love you Lord we're thankful Father for what you're doing in our midst Lord Jesus we've come once more tonight to hear from you we realize Lord we are indeed a very needy people Lord some Lord have worked all day today and we're perhaps tired at home not feeling like going to church but they made an effort to come in the house of God because they wanted to hear from you some mothers, Lord, had to bathe and dress children, Lord, and, and 
and come to the house of God and drive here because they needed to hear from you, Lord. And we've all come, Father, not to hear from a man, but to hear from you for we have needs, Lord Jesus. So we're praying even tonight, Lord God, that you take the word of God and break it, Lord God, and anoint your word. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Address every need, Lord God, that we can go back home knowing that we've heard from you. That we can go closer to God, Lord. Commit ourselves into your hands. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you, musician. That's all the singing we'll do. You can proceed for a, for a moment. Well, here we are. I don't know what I'm doing here, how I ended up here, uh, but we're just trusting the Lord. We've given our heart to God. We've given our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, sitting in the back there a couple of years ago, seven, eight years, when uh, the Lord began to work in our lives and saved, saved us, and we just kept walking with Him. Eight years later, and here we are. Uh, just last last Wednesday, uh, Brother Michael was preaching on Finish It Part 2, uh, and I was one of the last to leave. I was so impacted by the service. And I realized, Lord, we have needs. We have burdens for others, but maybe it's time that I look inwards and uh, ensure that I finish it. Ensure that there's nothing in my life, nothing in my heart that I've not fully surrendered. And I pondered on that, and I've told myself well, during the week, I say, Lord, I would just be in prayer and search. And I believe it was Friday night, or I was sitting on the balcony in my home just thinking, and something spoke to my heart and said, clearly you have not fully surrendered. So I come to, came to church on Sunday praying and said, Lord, show me what it is. Show me what a full surrender looks like. Because you know my love for you. You know I want to be fully surrendered to you. And came to the front to get prayed for. And Brother Tom laid his hand on me and prayed. And here I am, Lord, send me. So I'm just, here I am. We trust the Lord. We prayed and earnestly prayed and sought God. Look at 10,000 reasons why we shouldn't be here, but we trust in the Lord. So just pray that you help me tonight. My prayer is that something will be said that can help you. And I've prayed earnestly, Lord, let this be a one-time thing. <laughs> I wasn't laughing when I was saying that. Why don't we stand? We'll turn to Genesis chapter 22, verse 15 to 18. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself I have sworn, save the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, my only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gates of his enemies. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 6. 
verse 13. Hebrews 6, verse 13 to 18. For when, the, for when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing, I will bless thee, and multiplying, I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of the promise, the immutability of his counsel, confirm it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we've read your word. We can quote scriptures and quote the prophet, Father, but that is the mechanic. We pray, Father, that the anointing of the Holy Spirit will come upon the word. Father, that when the word will lodge in somebody's soul, as they say, amen to it, let it become life. You say my words are spirit and are life. So we pray that the Holy Ghost will move even tonight. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You may have your seats. Sorry. Well, I don't know if I have 10 minutes or 15 minutes. I just trust that something will be said tonight that will help. That's my desire. I was thinking how, um, I think I was sharing with the brother yesterday. Sometimes we go to a clinic, uh, to see, to see, to see the doctor and then they're very busy. So there's usually a waiting room and everybody will be waiting for the turn to see the doctor. And maybe a secretary or, or somebody will come and say, you know, Michael, it's your turn. And you go in and see the doctor and then somebody else is waiting for his turn to see the doctor because they, there's needs that they want to express. But, you know, your name gets called and you go in because you have a need. So I was praying tonight, Lord, as we are in this clinic for we're very needy people, may you call out names. Amen. That is their turn to go in and see the doctor. Yes. So stay, uh, hold on and just be alert. And if, if somebody calls your name, go in and see the doctor. Tell him what your needs are. Tell him what is upon your heart. Tell him what is hurting. You know, sometimes you go see a doctor, and I remember as, as a teenager, my, my parents had told me one day not to go out and play soccer with my friends, but I disobeyed. And I went to play street soccer. And if you're in Africa, you know it, it, it's, it's rough. And somebody tackled me, and I got injured. And you know, I came back home limping. But I knew that I would be, I would be in trouble if I admitted that it was hurting because I knew I was not supposed to be there. So I pretended that I was okay, but it was hurting. And, you know, my walk changed, the way I was walking changed, the way how I was leaning changed, and my dad noticed that I was hurting. He said, you got hurt, didn't you? I said, no, I'm fine. He says, I can tell by how you're walking that you're hurt. And I had to admit that I was in pain to get help. And when you go see the doctor, sometimes, you know, you say, Lord, you say, doctor, my, my arm is hurting. And he usually touch you and say, is this hurting? You say, yes. Does this hurt? How about this? Does this hurt? 
what if I do? Does this hurt? You have to say yes, yes, yes. If you lie and say no, no, it doesn't hurt, but you know deep down inside that it hurts, who are you fooling? You're going to go back home with the same ailment, with the same pain. If you need help, you have to say, Lord, it hurts. Right? And if, if the doctor touches you somewhere and it hurts, say it hurts. So throughout the preaching of the word, sometimes the Lord will come directly and touch an area that hurts. We say, Lord, it hurts, but I need it. I need you, Lord. And when the service was spoken on full surrender, it hurt. Because you know that the doctor attached an area that hurt. And you don't cover the hurt. You say, Lord, here I am. Because I want to be made whole. I want to be well. So that's my prayer tonight that something will be said that you can go and see the doctor and that you won't hurt anymore. We read in the scripture uh, in Genesis 22 how the Lord spoke to Abraham uh, and our brother Murphy went there on, on, on Sunday. And I'm not going to go back there, but just lay a quick foundation on what we're going to speak on. God spoke to Abraham. He had already given Abraham the promise that he was going to inherit the land. He was going to have a son. But before he was able to obtain the promise, there was something tremendous that was required of him. To, to uh, come and sacrifice his son. The only son that the Lord gave him. He was asked to sacrifice it. And how God spoke to Abraham. If I can just go back to that text. In verse 16 he said. Uh, verse 16 and said. By myself I have sworn, save the Lord. For because I was done this thing and has not withheld thy son. The Bible goes and says thy only son. It's not like Abraham had many children that, you know, he could, it was easy to give up one of them. And, you know, even as, as a parent, even if you had many children, I don't think it would be easy to give any one of them, let alone the only one that you have, right? By the grace of God, I'm a father here. I see my little son in the back there. If the Lord had asked me to give him up to, to God, that would be a very difficult thing to do. And because that is the object of my affection, and that's, that's my love that I have for my son, and the one thing that I love the most is the one thing that God requires me to surrender, that I may obtain the promise. And when the Lord, when the Lord spoke to Abraham and asked him to go and sacrifice his only begotten son, his only son, think about it. 25 years he had waited for this promise. He endured. The Bible says he staggered not, but he was strong, giving praise to God through faith. And he labored and labored and walked and walked and walked. And finally, the promised son arrives. The one thing that you've labored for, the Lord says, surrender it. I think Brother Tom was talking about, about uh, Cain when he, he had labored so much. You know, it's being a shepherd and sacrificing an animal is, is not as hard as, as tilting the ground. You know, I, I see Dan, Dan in the back here, uh, he took upon himself to become a gardener. So I, I see the effort he puts in it. You know, there's a dedication, there's amount of work, there's perspiration, there's, there's time we're all in the house having a good time, he's outside working on the ground. It's a, it's a process, it's, it takes a lot. So Cain put everything that he had in himself in what he was doing. He labored, he labored, he labored, he probably selected the, the most beautiful fruit that he had and thinking, this is the best that I've done. And I'm going to bring it to God and sacrifice it at the altar. And he will accept me because I've given him my best. Think about it. And God says, no. The very best he could offer, God said, that's not it. That's not revelation. So it's not in the labor that we put in it. 
right? We can labor and labor and labor, but what is the point of the labor if it's not pleasing to the Lord? We have to come and offer the one thing that God requires of us. And for Abraham, it was his son. For you and I, it's our lives. We lay it down. So that you might obtain the promise. And I believe that so many times we, we, we seek to obtain something, yet the requirements have not been met to receive it. So if a full surrender is what God requires, a full surrender is what he requires. There is no such thing as convenience when it comes to God that we think of ourselves, that we'll give him what we think is acceptable to him. The one thing that God requires is the one thing that we ought to surrender to him. And it's hard. It's very difficult. But we do it. Because what we want to obtain is greater than the sacrifice itself. That is the law of the sacrifice. So when you wanted to obtain something from God, you had to give up something else. In other words, when, for example, the sinner, when they had to bring a sacrifice of a lamb for the forgiveness of the sin. They had to take the best that they had. Because for them, receiving forgiveness was greater had a greater value than the sacrifice. So the purpose or the law of the sacrifice is to lay down something of a lesser value to obtain something of a greater value. If somebody is not willing to sacrifice something for God, they have not esteemed God of more importance than what God is asking them to lay down. There's nothing that we can obtain without a sacrifice. You know, when, when you prepare for an exam... Uh, at school, you, you study, and you study, and you study. Sometimes you don't sleep. Sometimes you don't go out with friends. You don't have a good time because you study. Because you know that graduating, obtaining this diploma has more value than the hours I'm spending. So we always keep the price before us, knowing that what we're going to obtain is of a greater value than the sacrifice. But sometimes so many people hold on so tightly to what they have, not realizing that what God will give is far greater than what he's asking them to surrender. And I know that it's hard to come to a full surrender, but think of what God will give you. It is always greater than what he's asking you to surrender. God will never come and say, surrender your beautiful SUV and I'll give you a bicycle. That's not how it works. When God asks you to surrender something, it's because he knows that what he has in store for you is far greater, beyond and above what you can ask or think. So the problem is that people don't come to a full surrender because they don't trust God. The foundation of a relationship is trust. If you don't trust that the Lord, what the Lord has for you, the thoughts, as the scripture says, the thoughts that I have for you are thoughts of peace. And if you know that God loves you, then you know that everything he does, he does it because he loves you. It is for your own good that he loves you. And sometimes we hold on to something that is so dear to us. God says, give it up for me. Like, Lord, why? He says, because I love you. I know what I have in store for you is greater than what you're holding on to. We're so finite and we cling so hardly to what is dear to us. Not willing to let it go. To receive. We have to let go to be able to receive. And that's what Abraham did. He, he went to this place where he said, God made a promise that I will be, I will be, that my seed will possess this land. And my only son is Isaac. If God is asking me to sacrifice him, I will sacrifice him. But I'm sure he will raise him up again because he made the promise that through my seed, I will possess all things. So tonight, by the grace of God, just that was the foundation. I just want to speak on the subject. Uh, the title is The Anatomy of a Promise. A little bit of an unusual title, and I wrestled with that myself, but that, that's what I had. 
the anatomy of a promise. The anatomy speaks about the structure of all, how something works. And the promises of God, there's a way to claim them. There's a way that those promises work. We talked about, for example, the Holy Ghost. You know, you cannot come and ask God to give you the Holy Ghost without understanding how that promise works. When Peter spoke on the day of Pentecost and the hearts were pricked, and people say, brethren, what shall we do to be saved? He said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So in order to claim the promise, you have to obey to the conditions, right? You cannot come to God and say, Lord, I need the Holy Ghost. Give it to me. Yet you refuse to obey the very steps he has required from you to receive the Holy Ghost. And we're living in a very difficult time, uh, especially the generation we're in today, where it's hard for people to comply with requirements. We want to do things our own way. We will still want, you know, to obtain something when it pleases us, when it's convenient to us, when it's suitable to us. And I think that people are not realizing the desperate needs that we actually have. Because if, if you're a desperate individual, you're not, you know, you're not very picky on how you receive help. When you're drowning, you're not looking at who's passing by, no too short. No, I don't like him. I don't like his haircut. No, I don't like those shoes. When you're desperately drowning, you need help. You don't have the luxury of picking how you're going to get that help. You say, help! I'm drowning. Help, I'm drowning. You will do what is necessary to receive the help that you need because you realize that unless you do that, you die. But people don't realize the needs in their hearts. They don't realize the desperate situation that they're in. So they refuse to comply because they don't realize that they're dying. The anatomy of a promise. What is a promise? A promise is a declaration that one will do or refrain from doing something specified. A legally binding declaration that gives a person to whom it is made a right to expect or to claim the performance of a specified act. A promise is something that gives you reason to expect something. So it is a declaration that something will be done. Something specific will be done. Now, in, in just our everyday life, we, we, tend to, we tend to make a difference between just statements and promises, right? So, for example, uh, even though a promise is indeed a statement, right? When, when God promises something, he's stating that he would do something. But in society, we tend to make a difference between simply stating that you will and promising that you actually will. So, for example, if, 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 if my wife's here in the back, if I was to tell her that, you know what, at, at the end of the month, I'll, I'll get you a car. That, that is a statement. And if she wants to be certain that I will do what I said I would do, she will ask, you promise? And then I'll say, I promise. So, we're making a distinction between simply stating that you will do something and actually promising that you will do something. That is just how it works. So if parents, you've told your children, you know, we're going to go to Disneyland or we're going to go on a vacation. You promise, you promise, you promise. What are they asking? They're asking you to upgrade your statement from simply an intent to actually a binding promise. Because you can be held accountable based on the things that you promise. It is very unusual to be held accountable on simply statements. Right? So for example, if I was to say, you know what, on, on Monday I'll start working out. I'm going to start working out on Monday. 
and Monday comes and I don't. Well, it will be very weird if my wife came to me and said, you promise that you're going to work out. You promise you're going to work out. Why are you not working out? She cannot hold me accountable to that. Uh, that was a statement. I, I, I will work out. Had I say I promise, that would be a different thing. Because now I've upgraded my statement from simply intent to legally binding. So we make those, dif- those clear distinctions between simply stating that something will be done and actually promising that something will be done. So what actually happens when a promise is made? Well, we need to consider it from the perspective of the promisee, which is the person receiving the promise, and the promiser, which is the person making the promise. So for a promisee, going back to the example, uh, if I was to promise my wife that I'll, that I'll buy a vehicle, her being the promisee, that what happens now when I say I promise is that I have now set a reasonable expectation. Right? It's not really a reasonable expectation if it's just a statement made. But when you're binding yourself to that statement by saying, I promise, or I give you my word, for the promisee, the person receiving the promise, it creates an expectation that they will obtain something. So now the promisee now has confidence that what I said is no longer just a statement, but it's something that I will hold myself to. Right? And then she now knows that I will set to do what I said I will do. Because I said those two magic words, I promise. Now, for the promiser, which would be, in this case, would be me, the one making the promise, I now have to be very careful before I commit to a promise. Because I have now to figure out, do I have the funds to purchase the vehicle? What if there's unexpected circumstances and bills or things that I've not foreseen that will come into play that might hinder me from actually doing what I said I would do. So my gears are now turning before I commit because I'm considering what I'm about to commit myself to because it's now a part of myself that gets bound to what I said. So I must deal with the unforeseen circumstances that may hinder the promise. And I have to be aware that now I'll be held accountable. To keep my word. So I must ensure that I have all the necessary means to keep my word. Unless I have that, I can say I promise. Or else, what is the purpose of the promise if I cannot keep it? So we've, we've seen in, even the society we're living in, there's many promises are made every day. Politicians, when election time comes, they promise all sorts of things that they don't, they don't deliver. You know, we've had friends, we've had relationships, we have seen people that have promised all sorts of things that have never promised. We've had jobs, we've entered into contract and they've promised a certain work environment and they never panned out. They promised a certain compensation and never panned out. So people don't usually keep the promises. Uh, it's, it's interesting to read, there was a lawsuit against Red Bull in, uh, I think it was 2014, I believe. It reads this, according to our... According to court documents filed in New York Federal Court, Europe-based energy drink Red Bull has agreed to pay out up to 13 million U.S. in compensation to settle a class action suit launched by an upset customer who says the company uses false advertising. So here's a company that was claiming a certain thing, advertising something, promising something. And because the, the, the client here felt that they didn't deliver, 
there was a class action suit against Red Bull and they settled for $13 million. If, believe it or not, but this is what actually happened. The defendant advertising, marketing, and promotional spending has been used to mislead customers, that was a claim, into believing that Red Bull is a superior product worthy of a premium price and has the ability to give you wings. That is the slogan of Red Bull, right? They say that you, you, you get wings. And it, and it goes on to say, despite the fact that this customer has been drinking it since 2002. <laughs> so Red Bull decided to settle because they didn't want to have to go through all of that. And they settled for $13 million. And here's a company, even though perhaps they're not thinking they're actually promising something, but they were held accountable because they said something and it didn't happen. They say that, you know, Red Bull, you know, going to get wings, drink it. And this guy has been drinking since 2002. It never happened. And here's a, 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 a class action suit that actually made its way to the court. It was serious and they settled for $13 million. So we see that it's one thing to make a promise, but it's altogether a different thing to actually keep your word. Brad Branham says, and we are trying today as we see the end time approaching, there should be end time appearance of the Lord Jesus that he predicted in the scripture, because whatever he said, it must come to pass. Now, we ourselves are finite. We can make many mistakes, and I make more than all because we're finite, but he is infinite, and he cannot make a mistake. Now, I can promise you something, and with the very best of my ability, I can say I really mean that. And then I might not be able to fulfill what I promise, because circumstances will alter cases, so Brad Bonham is introducing here an incredible, incredible uh, concept here that the reason why a human being might not necessarily keep his word is because he's, he's finite. Yeah. We're limited. So I can promise and really mean it that I will buy that vehicle by the end of the month. But there are circumstances that are far beyond what I can imagine or anticipate that might hinder me from keeping my word even though I actually meant it. So I can mean, for example, I can say, you know what, honey, tomorrow I'll leave work early. Or, 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 or come, or I'll come on at 6 o'clock and we'll go out for dinner. I say, I promise you, we're going to have a good time. And then I, I decide, you know what, I need to finish work early. I need to get anything I have to get done. But on my way home now, there's five, five cars pile up in an accident. And I'm stuck in traffic for two hours. I had all the intent of keeping my word. But had I anticipated that there will be an accident... That will cost me two hours of traffic. I would have left work two hours later, uh, before or earlier. So I will compensate for anything that might hinder me from keeping my word. But I don't have that possibility simply because I'm finite. So we don't have the ability of actually keeping our word. Even if we tend to, because we're finite, there's always going to be circumstances that we have not foreseen. Now, if God gave me the gift of knowing what tomorrow holds... My promise will be more certain, for I know what tomorrow is. Now think about it. When God is making a promise to you, he has already anticipated every hindrance along the way that might hinder that word. So when he says, I'm committed to do something, he will do it. Because there's no circumstances that will take him by surprise. I can get caught up by traffic. Oh my, I didn't think about it. But God will never come to a point where... What is going on? I didn't plan about this. He is infinite. He knows the end from the beginning. So when God is promising you something, you can be assured that there's no hindrances. There's nothing that he's not thought about before. He will keep his word. 
We can do it because we're finite. He can because he's infinite. Oh my, being all-knowing, what an advantage that is. If I was all-knowing, all my promises, I'll be able to keep. If I was all-knowing, if I said I would do something tomorrow, I would do it. Because I already know the circumstances. I already know that this person who's going to come and try to do this, I will deal with that. I know there will be a car accident here. I will deal with that. I can anticipate everything that will happen prior to committing of doing something. So if I had the gift of being all-knowing before I make any promise to my wife or to anybody else, I'll stop for a second and see ahead of time every single event. Every single alteration, every single combination of possibilities. And I will see the end. And I say, I promise you, I'll be there. Because I know, I've seen the end. I've gone through time, and I can tell where it's going to end. That is the perspective of God when he's making a promise. He's standing at the end looking back. He knows that when he said it by my straps, you're healed. He's seen all the events. He's seen everything transpire. He can stand at the end and tell you, this will happen. Because I've anticipated everything. Every demon, every sickness that will come. I look at cancer, I can heal that. I look at tuberculosis, I can defeat that. I look at sin, I can take it away. So when he makes a promise, he has already assessed every enemy that he will have to defeat. I can defeat him, I can defeat him, I can defeat him. Therefore, I'm the Lord who heals you of all your sicknesses. Glory! Why can he say all? Because he's looked down to time and there was not a single enemy that he was not able to defeat. Hallelujah. The power of omnipotence. The power of being all-knowing. I can cast my soul on a God who can make a promise because he knows the end from the beginning. Hallelujah. Glory. I feel good now. I'm going to take off take this. Sorry, give me one second. So what gives weight? Actually, let me read another, another quote here. Brother Bram says, In the we will see Jesus. Therefore, all the scriptures that God has given to us are promises. Now we get ourselves worked up in the human element of the time element. And the only thing we know is inches, feet, yards, miles, measurements, days, weeks, hours, months, years. But God is eternal. We have the limited power and limited intelligence. But God is infinite in all things. He knows all things. He knew all things before the world began. He knew this meeting would be here tonight. He knew all the things before there was a world because he could tell that they would be in the end time from the beginning. That's what makes him God. Nothing else, no one else, no other being, no other person could ever do that but God alone. So you can take whoever person you want and ask them to make you a promise. They cannot give you a hundred percent certainty that they will keep the word. They can give you up to 99.9999999, but the 0.0001 is not knowing what tomorrow holds. So because they don't have that element, their promises are not sure. Their promises are not yea and amen. Their promises, even if they say, I promise, is just still a statement. Because we don't have any guarantee that they're able to keep it. 
and Bible says here, God and God alone, who is the one who can do that. So what gives weight to a promise? Well, the character and the integrity of the person making the promise. So if, sorry to pick on you, Michael, but if Michael here was telling me, you know what, Brother Jean, I'll come pick you up on Sunday, you know, like, we're going to go, I have a friend, and I have this private jet, we're just going to go across Europe for a week. It's like, I promise. I'll look at Michael, I'm like, seriously? (laughs) Right? Because what gives a weight to a promise is the character, the integrity, the nature of the one making the promise. So, every single time somebody makes a promise, we can actually judge in our mind whether that person is able to keep it based on their character. If it's a person who has a track record of never keeping their word, and they say, I promise you I'll be there tomorrow on time. Well, there's a track record that you're always late. So all of a sudden, it's difficult to give too much weight to that promise because the character of the person making the promise is in question. So the weight of the promise is tightly connected to the character of the person who's making the promise. So we, we will be fools, excuse the expression, but to, to believe in anybody who promises anything, even though their character, even though their history, even though their track record says otherwise, right? Who, who believes that a politician is capable of keeping a single promise? I don't. Even when they go to the polls to vote, they know. They know that he's not going to keep everything that you say, but whatever, that's what it is, right? But to cast your heart and your soul and commit your life to the promise made by a politician, you have to be a fool to do that. You cannot cast your soul, your whole life, thinking that he's going to keep his word because there's a track record that politicians don't keep their words. So the integrity of the person matters whether we give a lot of validity or a lot of weight to the things that are promising. The Bible says, Hebrews 10, 23, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful, that promise. So when we have a track record from Genesis 1, 1, and God said, later on says, and there was. We have a track record that when God says something, the only thing that can follow is, and there was. There has never been, and God said, and, and we waited. And there was nothing. There's no such thing in the scripture. And God said, and there was. So there was a track record from Genesis 1-1 till the very end of the Bible that this man, this promiser, this man who makes promises, he has a track record of keeping his word. So when I look at a person like that and he's telling me, this is what I will do for you. And I look at what he did yesterday, he kept his word. I look at what he did last week, he kept his word. I look at what he did in all the church ages, he kept his word. I know he will keep his word when it comes to me. Because his track record speaks of itself. His integrity, his character, who he is, gives me enough weight and validity to believe that this promise is so. The person who's making the promise, does he have the means to do what he said he would do? You can promise me that you'll paint me a beautiful painting. Do you know how to paint? I cannot believe you. I cannot 
commit, cast my sword and hold on to that promise and saying, he's going to keep his word. He said he was going to paint for me tomorrow. The brother has never painted in his whole life. Right? The person who's making the promise must have the necessary ability, the necessary skill set, the necessary capacity to carry out what he promises he would. If I promise that I will buy you, again, back to the vehicle, I'll buy you a vehicle, and then you log in my bank account, you see $10. You're like, oh my goodness, here we go again. You know for a fact that I don't have the means to achieve or to do what I say that I would do. No matter how, how hard I, I say, believe me, believe me. Well, my means, what I'm capable of doing, my economy is showing me that I don't have what it takes to keep my word. But if you were to log in and you saw multiple zeros following number, you were like, oh my, he, sh- he can buy me more than one car. Because you, you now have tapped in what I have in store. You've now seen for yourself what I'm able to do. You've seen the reach. You've seen how far I can go based on the means that I have. So when God is telling you he's going to do something, let's look at his bank account. Does he have the means necessary to do what he said he would do? Does he have the capacity to actually heal me? Does he have the strength to actually deliver me? Does he have the power to actually keep me? Does he have the power to save my family? Does he have the power to restore my prayer life? Can he do what he said he would do? Look at his bank account. Let's look at his bank account and let's see, does he have the means to keep his word? I say he does. Now behold, today I'm going the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of the good promises of the Lord your God made to you has failed. Everything was fulfilled for you. Not one promise has failed. That's Joshua 23 verse 14. 2 Peter 3 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness. But he is long suffering. In the Amplified it says the Lord does not delay as though he was unable to act. He's not slow about his promise as some countless slowness, right? So God is not slack. He's not dragging his feet to do something because like, oh, how am I going to do this? I don't know how I'm going to do this. No, he's not slack concerning his promise. As a matter of fact, when you actually look in the Bible, you won't find a verse where God has said something to somebody and they say, you promise? And God says, yes, I promise. No, because God doesn't need to upgrade what he said from a statement to a promise. Everything he says is indeed a promise. God cannot lie. Titus 1. Paul, the servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. Numbers 23. God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. God is not a man. He cannot lie. Bible says, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God. So that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask... We know that we already possess what we have asked of him. 
If we know that God keeps his word, that everything he does, everything he says he does, when we receive a promise, we already possess. 2 Corinthians 1, 17. When I therefore was thus minded, did I use likeness of the things that I purpose? Do I purpose according to the flesh? That with me there should be yea, yea, and nay, nay. But as God is true, our word toward you was not yea and nay. In other words, it wasn't a certain sound. It wasn't yes and no, yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Tom Ray and Michael Ray and Murphy Wong and Tim Dodd and all the servants of God who was preached this word to you, all the promises were not yea and nay, but in him they were all yea. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him are amen, unto the glory of God by us. Everything that God says, there's no uncertain sound to it. It was not a what if. Oh, I love how Brother Murphy said it on Sunday. When you come to a full surrender, there is no what if. When you actually believe in God, there is no what if. When God says you will do something, there is no what if. Get a hold of faith tonight and cast out all the what ifs. Because God is able to keep his word. Trust in him. Brother Barnum says this. He's speaking about the, the woman with the blood issue. He said, she said in her heart, if I touch his garment... I will be whole. See? He says, now you have more than that. You have a divine promise. Is that right? You have a divine promise. Just look how much more you've got to believe than her. What that poor woman had. She didn't even have a scripture for that. She wasn't in need. And she saw Jesus. She had no promise that if she actually touched his hand, she will be whole. She had no scripture. She had no promise. Something just struck her. But she knew the character and the integrity of that man, Jesus. So she knew that if he's the son of God, if he's God in flesh, then I can just touch him. Surely I can be made whole by that. But what you have is greater than what she had. If she was able to get healing without operating on the basis of a promise, how much more you will you actually have a promise to stand upon? It should make things a little bit easier, right? Because you actually have a promise. So, well, it's already 40 minutes here. When it comes to uh, contracting law, there's, there's a fine line between a promise and a contract. If you're not careful what you promise can actually be used against you and can be legally enforceable because you did not realize that you were actually entering into a contract. People make all kinds of promises and statements in their daily lives, sometimes without realizing how others may interpret them. In fact, even a verbal statement that sounds like an offer can be legally construed as one. For example, if you're telling a business partner that you can sell something for $50 a piece, after learning that the competition is selling it at $60, so you're saying, I'm going to sell it cheaper. And uh, that could be considered an offer, especially, and I'll pay attention to this, especially if he or she responds in the affirmative. For example, saying, that sounds good. 
So if you're actually talking with somebody and they tell you, oh yeah, this man, this manufacturer is going to sell this for $60 and you say, you know what? I can actually sell it for 50 and they're like, oh, that's good. You have now entered without knowing into a contract because you made an offer and that offer was accepted. And all that person has to do is to respond in the affirmative. Oh, I love that. All you need to do is to respond in the affirmative. By responding in the affirmative, you enter into a contract. So when you're reading God's promises to you, what is being preached from the pulpit, if you respond in the affirmative by saying, Amen, by saying, that sounds good, by saying, bless the Lord, you are entering in a contract because you've accepted the offer that was made to you. Now, let's assume that the partner decides to cancel the meeting with the other manufacturer because they think they can get it cheaper with you. And then they come and you say, oh, actually, I can't do it. Oh, my. Now you're legally obligated to compensate them. Because, now here, if one party makes a statement of a promise that causes another party to rely on that statement... In such a way that they might be financially injured by that reliance, a court will enforce that statement of promise. The court will enforce something if you can show that you acted, that you did something that shows that you relied upon what was promised. Only if you can show reliance can the court actually uphold it. So if God is promising you something and you're not acting upon it, you're not showing by your statements, by your confession, by your actions, by your life, you're not showing that you're actually relying, it can never be enforced. But if you can show that once God made a promise to you, you acted upon it, you took a step, you relied upon it, you can say, God, I relied upon your promise. I did this because the word says that. Because you acted upon the promise, a court is going to enforce it. That's why we have to act upon what we hear. Glory. We have to act upon the word of God. When that inspiration strikes you and then you act upon it, you're entering into a contract because you're showing God that you're relying upon the word. As long as you can prove that you relied upon it, now you're entering into a contract. For the court to consider a promise as binding, you need to show that the person who received the promise acted in a way that showed reliance. So if I promise, again, back to my wife, I promised my wife, let's say that we're going to go to, let's say, Greece. I say, honey, I promise you we're going to go to Greece in December. And if she believes me, and she believes that promise, she has to start looking for places to visit. She has to go on the internet and type hotels in Greece, what to do in Greece, restaurants to eat in Greece. She has to show by her action, by her action, by her behavior, that she has believed what I said. Now, if I go in her browsing history and I start seeing all those things, I'm like, oh my, she's, she actually believed me because her actions are showing that she's acting as though she had already received the promise. That is what Abraham did. You know, I believe that Abraham went into the store and started buying diapers before he had the child. He started acting, doing something, and God looked at him and said, Abraham is showing reliance. 
He's showing that he's believing me. Just like my wife will go and Google things to see in Greece. Abraham is going to Google how to be a good father. <laughs> Hallelujah. Abraham is actually doing things that shows he's anticipating and expecting something to take place. That is the reliance that makes a contract enforceable. So there's five or six elements involved in the contract. The first element is offer and acceptance. As I said earlier, if you make an offer and then somebody interprets what you said as an offer and accept it, respond positively, that is the first element of the contract. So one party, one party presents something of value that they wish to exchange for something else, that is an offer. Then the second element, well, for, then after that you have to accept it or decline it. The second element is the consideration. That is the benefit that both parties can gain by entering into this contract. So if I enter this contract, what am I going to get out of it? Number three, there's what they call the meeting of the mind. Or that is simply termed, that means a mutual agreement. That means that both parties have agreed on the terms of the contract. Number four is legality. For a contract to be valid, it must not contain anything that's unlawful. Right? If we enter in a contract, but the contract was like some of the things we we're going to do were going to be illegal, it cannot be enforced because it breaks the, valid, the legality clause. Then the last element is capacity, which means that the person who is signing the contract must have the legal ability to do so. So, for instance, a minor cannot enter into a binding contract because they're not legally able to actually enter in those terms. So capacity talks about fitness. The person who's entering the contract must have, as I say, the necessary tools, must have the license, must have the capacity, must have the ability, must have the aptitude and the skill set necessary to enter into a binding contract. So when you get into a contract, it's only valid if the people that are entering it have the legal capacity to uphold the contract. So see somebody signs a contract under duress or coercion, or they were being forced and someone was holding a gun to the head, that contract cannot be enforced because they were forced into it. So you have to come with a solid mind, a clear understanding of the agreement that you're entering into for that to be enforceable. So if you're actually coming to God, not because you feel pressured, not because you feel influenced by your friends. Not because you feel like, if I don't come to the altar, what are they going to think about me? You're actually coming under coercion and under duress. That cannot actually be a valid contract because you're breaking the legality clause. You must have the soundness of mind and the faith in your heart to know what you're actually entering into. I can sign a contract with a manufacturer and ask them to import some goods that they don't have a license to import. The contract cannot be valid because the company must have the legal ability to actually engage in the action specified in the contract. If I was sleeping and my wife woke me up, honey, 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 can you promise me you will do this? And I say, yeah, I promise. That cannot be enforced. <laughs> Don't try that. <laughs> because I'm not in the right mental state to actually enter in. So there must be a right mental attitude towards the promises of God for God to actually enforce them. Generally, a contract is considered binding when it includes all these elements. So let's say that John tells Doris he will pay her $3,000 to take care of his children for the summer. And Doris cancels 
her summer employment in favor of John's offer. But at the last minute, John takes in a foreign exchange student who will do the work for free. Doris may be able to receive damages from John because she lost earnings by relying on his promise. So again, the promise here, what is enforceable, you have to understand is that you have to show that you took a step, that you did something in response to what was offered. That is what actually is able to be enforceable by law. If I promise you, in this case, if John has promised Doris that he would do that, and then, you know, she still keeps her job, right? And I say, you know what, somebody else is going to do it. And then she goes and sues me. Then the, the judge will be like, well, you're still working. Like, you still made money. Like, what, what injury did you suffer by this contract? Like, there is, there is nothing that this contract affected you in any way. I had to be able to show the judge that I did something that showed that I rely upon it. And if this contract is not kept, then I suffer damages because I was led astray. I was misled into believing something I did not receive. The Bible contains 7,000, more than 7,000 promises. God's statements, as I say, don't need to be upgraded to a promise because every single thing he says is a promise. And God doesn't speak fearlessly. Everything he says, he means it. But in all these promises in the Bible, these are offers. This is what God is saying he will do. You have to accept it. It won't do you any good unless you accept it. Brother says a pardon is only a pardon as long as it's accepted as a pardon. So if God is promising you something like healing, it won't do you any good if you don't actually accept that it is for you. Right when I'm, when he was preaching the series on the Holy Ghost, he said you must first believe that it is for you. That is one of the first requirements that when God is making a promise, he's not necessarily speaking to 11 billion people that have lived throughout time or 7 billion people. He's speaking to you. So you forget about the one to your left or to your right and everybody else that you know. The promises of God are for you. You have to look at them and say, this is for me. You have to accept that offer that is made as the first element of entering into a contract. Now, if you were, if you were to get in an accident, for example, uh, and then your, your license had expired the day that you got into an accident, and perhaps you don't really know, okay, what, what do I do in this situation? I sell my insurance, my license expired, what's going to happen? The most likely thing that will happen is that you're going to go to ICBC, either on the website or in person, and you're going to go speak to somebody and see what is the policy concerning your situation, right? Because there has got to be a policy to address your needs, your situations. And when policies are written, they are written by lawyers to cover all eventual situations that might occur so that there is a way to deal with them when they actually happen. So you hire lawyers to actually write policies in the event of this. So and so will do this. This is what will happen. There will be this deductible in the event of this, in this event, in this event. But if you don't know what policy to turn to, you go to ICB and say, this is my situation. These are my circumstances. What policies apply to me? 
So when you go to God, you know what your situation is, you know what your circumstances is, and you know I need peace. What policies apply to my need? If you need salvation, you have to check, is there a policy that concerns my situation? If you have children that are lost, you have to go back to the book and look, what is a policy that has been written before time to address my needs? Because when God gave you His Word, He knew in advance that His Word will cover every situation, every policy. That's what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, 4. According to His divine power, He has given us all things that pertain unto life. His policy has covered everything we encounter in this journey. Whereby we are given, we are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. So what is contained in God's policy book? Multiple promises, but some of them that just struck me today for some reason. Peace. Peace is so underrated in this age. We live in a neurotic age where people don't have peace of mind. They go to work, they party, they do whatever they want, but later now, when they're laying in the bed, they know they don't have peace. And give me peace more than anything else. What is it that you have a seven-figure or six-figure job if I have no peace at the end of the day? Peace is so underrated. If I was to be asked, uh, part of the, uh, the agreement for a job, like, what is your compensation if I could just write peace? That would be more than money. Because you can have all the money in the world and not have peace. But let's see what the policy book says. Psalm chapter 4. Thou hast put gladness in my heart. More than in the time that the corn and the wine increase. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. For thou, Lord, only makes me dwell in safety. If you're going to bed, you're unable to sleep. Turn to this policy because there's a peace for you. Why would a believer be unable to sleep? Why can't you rest? God has promised you peace. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. So many times we call the scripture about healing and healing and healing, but the healing of the spirit and the heart, that peace of mind, oh my, God has promised you that by his transgressions, he has acquired your peace once and for all. So if you need peace, here's a promise. Accept that offer, put it on your lips and say, Lord, this concerns me. Give me peace. Romans chapter 4. When you... For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. I don't believe in miserable Christians. The Holy Ghost gives us joy. The Holy Ghost makes us glad. The Holy Ghost, there's something in our soul that surpasses all understanding. There's something that is so real within us that we know that no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the situation is, we have peace for He is. He is our peace. Ephesians 2.14, for He is our peace who have made both one and have broken down the middle wall partition between us. What else did God promise us? Strength. We labor and labor in this day. It's always like we're running and running and running and running. Like Brother Murphy was saying on the treadmill, when you're not going anywhere. And we get weary and tired. Daniel chapter 10, verse 19. Oh man, this is the angel talking to Daniel. Oh man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace. Be unto thee. Be strong. He says, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened. And said, let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. If you need strength, all you need to do is hear the word. 
as you feed on the word, as you receive in your heart, the word has energy. The word has quickening power. The word will give you strength. Oh soldier, if you're weary tonight, there is strength. Oh mother, if you're weary tonight, for you have lost children that you've prayed and prayed and prayed for, and you're weary, there is strength. Psalms 28 verse 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. I trust him with all my heart. He helps me and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs and thanksgiving. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? What demon? What situation? What mountain? What heights? What am I going to fear? He is my shield and he is my strength. Another thing that is so underrated in this age is joy. That was turning me, my mourning, into dancing. That was put off my sackcloth and girding me with gladness. That will show me the path of life. In that presence is fullness of joy. And that right hand are pleasures forevermore. These things I have spoken unto you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Oh my, these are the things that God has promised us. Peace. Joy, strength, courage. Well, I'm just so tired of this demon of depression plaguing believers. Seriously, there is a God who is our peace. What situation are you actually going through that is breaking your mindset that you cannot find peace, that you're always depressed? What is it? Committing to God, checking the policy and see if there's even if there's even anything here that addresses your situation. Because I guarantee you, there is something here that will meet your needs. So why are you depressed? Come to church happy, go back home miserable. My. Christians ought to be the happiest people. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So we have the right mental attitude is what is necessary to actually claim a promise. And the first time Brother Banham actually mentions this expression, the right mental attitude, is I believe in um, expectation. I'm just trying to find my notes here. I believe yeah, it's an expectation. He says... It's to, we always get what we expect. When people expect anything, well, they usually get what they look for. It's the mental attitude that you have. Remember this and never forget it. The right mental attitude towards any promise will bring it to pass. The right mental attitude. So what is he actually talking about the right mental attitude? Is your expectation. That is what the right mental attitude is. Is when you're looking at the promise of God, you are actually expecting that it will come to pass. It is for you. That is the right mental attitude. If you approach God on the basis of his promise, with that attitude that he will keep his word, it will bring his promises to pass. The prophet says, never forget that. I say this in a challenging faith. That every promise of God will be brought to pass. It should take the right mental attitude towards it. Now, the right mental attitude, as long as we're here, do you understand what I mean by that? Your right mental attitude towards God's divine promise will bring any promise to pass. Don't, now you may, maybe you don't believe that and you say, well, my faith is weak. Since I wouldn't confess it. See? Don't let the devil know that. Always say, I've got faith. I've got good faith. I believe God with all my heart. See, don't testify nothing of the devil. When you accept him as your healer, don't ever act like you're sick or crippled or anything anymore. Believe that you're healed. As long as you take God at his word, the word will produce what he promised. 
Your mental attitude should never be to confess anything negative. Oh, why will this happen? I'm tired. I'm weary. I can't do this anymore. Don't confess those things. Even if you feel you don't have faith, don't say it. Don't put that on your lip. What you should be putting on your lips is the word of God. It's confessing it. I am healed. Let the weak say what? I am strong. Let the poor say what? I am rich. That is a confession to actually declare the opposite of what you're feeling. If you're feeling I'm sad, say I'm glad I'm happy. If you're feeling weak, say I'm strong. If you're feeling depressed, say I'm glad. If you're feeling that you're still bound, say I am free. I am free. Put it on your lip. That is a right mental attitude. Now we have a legal obligation. We have a legal right to the promises of God. Brother says in possessing the enemy's gate. Now we have a right to conquer all sickness. We don't have to conquer it. It's already conquered. We just have to claim the promise and go and take it. It's already conquered. Death is conquered. Hell is conquered. Sickness is conquered. Temptation is conquered. All devils are conquered. Hell is conquered. The grave is conquered. We stand in the gate taking it. You don't have to fire a shot. What a battle is that? You're going to war. You don't have to pull that trigger a single time. For it is already conquered. It's already paid for. Now I'm going to close this. Satan has no legal right. Brother says, don't worry. As soon as you make your decision. So as soon as you receive an offer from God and you accept it. And now you're acting and confessing, showing reliance upon his word. Brother says, as soon as you do that, the devil is going to give you a shock. He says, don't worry. He's the biggest bluff I know. But he's only a bluff. He goes on to say, did you hear what I said? He is a bluff. That's all he is. He ain't got no one leg of power. Jesus Christ stripped him of everything he had. So what is a bluff? A bluff is an attempt to deceive someone into believing that they can do something. That is what a bluff is. So what I'm going to be saying, the devil is a bluff. So what does it mean if it's an attempt? Well, if it's an attempt, not all attempts are successful. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. So if the devil tries and attempts to make you believe that he has the power to do something over you, he has a gun with no bullets. He has a bow without an arrow. He has lightning without thunder. So if somebody was, Michael, come here. If somebody was holding a gun to Michael and said, give me your wallet, give me your wallet. And Michael knew that there was no bullet. So he knows that I'm a bluff. You know what you do to a bluff? You call his hand. So you go like, shoot. Well, I'm, I'm telling you, I will shoot you if you don't give me my wallet. Go ahead, shoot. Well, you are up to ten. You say nine, eight, seven. Well, this is your last warning. Three, you say two, one, shoot. Well, well, oh, I can't do it. The devil will flee from you because he's a bluff. So when the devil comes to you and tell you all sorts of lies, you call his hand. And he says, you're weak. He says, so? Well, 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 you, you're a sinner. And? Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're the weakest, brother, but I'm saying even the weakest Christian on his knees. You call his hand, he's nothing but a bluff. That, that gun will never fire. He can pretend he's about to pull a trigger, nothing will come out of it. You have to call his hand. That's the only way you deal with a bluff. If the devil is lying to you, that you will never have your heart's desire, call his hand. He's a bluff. Gotta call his hand. I'm going to say something a little bit here to, to lighten up a little bit here, but I was talking to a friend a couple of days ago, and the person was wearing a t-shirt that said Peru. And I was like, do you know what Peru is? And they say, yes, I do. I know what Peru is. I was like, tell me where is Peru. 
Like, seriously, I'm not, I'm not even going to internet. Tell me what Peru is. I know where it is. Tell me where it is. And I could tell that, that was a blast. So I was calling that hand. Where is Peru? Well, well, tell me, where is Peru? Asia. See? Bluff. <laughs> call the hand because it's nothing but a bluff. When a devil comes to you and starts telling you lies, you call his hand. Call his hand. That's the only way to deal with a bluff. He will start talking, and before you know it, his lips, his lips are shaking. But he has nothing left to say. Bluff. Brother Barnum says, now Satan, this duel of faith. Brother, Brother Darren, if you're here somewhere, I thought of you when I read this quote. This duel of faith, you claim her, and I claim her for Jesus. This is the duel of faith. It's like the person you're claiming is in the middle. And the devil is pulling, says, she's mine. And Brother Darren is saying, she's mine. And the devil is saying, she's mine. And Brother says, no, she's mine. In this duel of faith, Brother Barnum says, I claim you have no power over her. Now he's waiting for Satan to claim something. Silence. Okay. I claim that you have no power over nothing. Silence. What is he going to claim? He has no claim. He's a bluff. He got stripped and robbed of everything he had. Every legal order of Calvary. Satan, you are aware that you are whipped. You have no legal rights. Jesus Christ, my Lord, stripped you from every authority you had when he died at Calvary. And the Bible says, uh, you, you know when our Lord came to the tree, he cursed the tree. The next day it was withering. And our Lord said to his disciples, have faith in God, for you shall say, ye have said to this mountain, be moved. Don't doubt in your heart, but believe what you say is coming to pass. You can have what you say. Satan, you know the scripture on that. And I have just taught these people that God is in them. And if God is in them and they speak to that disease and say, be away from me. Or if there's somebody sick tonight, you speak to that disease and say, be away from me. It is a demon spirit that's bugging you. You tell that demon, be away from me. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a son of God. Don't doubt in the heart. Right then, that disease, even now. That disease has to move for Christ says so. For it is not them that speaks. It's the Father that dwells in them. In other words, it's the resurrection in them that is speaking. So come out of them. In the name of Jesus Christ, I as a servant of God, with a message by an angel who anointed me to prove to these people that Jesus is here and the message is right. Come out of them in the name of Jesus Christ. I adjure thee, leave every sick person and get into inner darkness. Everyone says, did you hear that? The congregation says, amen. I'm sure you heard that. How many heard that roar going through the building just then? That was it. Surely you won't doubt any longer. That was God speaking back. Can you see it? The congregation rejoices. Because that was God speaking back. And brother, I'm going to say, if Jesus isn't risen from the dead, then of course, he can't do what he promised to do. Good point. You can't promise anything if you're dead. But if he's raised from the dead and claims to be the same yesterday, today, and forever, he is obligated to his divine promise to keep his word to every generation. He is obligated. For he said, a little while in the world will see me no more. But you will see me, for I will be in you, with you, even in you, till the end of the world. But the Bible says he is obligated. His promises are guilty until he makes them fulfilled. My his promises are guilty until he makes them fulfilled. If God was not able to keep his word, he will be guilty. We heard a service here on, on the trial. Nobody can actually come to God with a fair legal suit and be like, Lord, here's, here's my case. Here are my evidences. Here are my facts. 
Jesus Christ is guilty of breach of contract. Dismiss. Every time. Dismiss, dismiss, dismiss. God is obligated to his word and he always keeps his word. So I'm asking you concerning your healing, is there a promise? Concerning your restoration, is there a promise? Concerning the Holy Ghost, is there a promise? Oh, I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe what you have a church filled with the Holy Ghost. If there's young people, ladies and gentlemen, who don't have the Holy Ghost, there is a promise. The Bible says, for the promise is for you, for those who are far, as many of the Lord our God shall call them. When Peter, yes, spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell upon them. Holy Ghost fell upon us. Is there a promise concerning forgiveness of sin? Stop crying over your sins. It's under the blood. It's done. Done. It's dead. Under the blood. There's a promise that He forgives all your sins. Concerning broken hearts. Is there a promise? He's the healer of the broken hearts. You might have been disappointed. Perhaps you think that somebody let you down, that God let you down. He will never let you down. There is a promise for you. Concerning your husband and your wife, is there a promise? Concerning the will of God for your life, is there a promise? Does this policy book cover your situation? Did you hear your name being called tonight? So that when we stand, put that promise on your lips. Put that promise that you found pertaining to your condition and pray out to God. Don't be quiet. Open your mouth. Put his word upon your lip and say, God, you said, you said, you said if I surrender, you give me the Holy Ghost. I'm surrendering. You said if I give everything to you, you will give me my heart's desire. So I'm coming to you. You say by your stripes I'm healed. Put it upon your lips, saints. Put it upon your lips. There is a promise for you. Hallelujah. Oh, we praise your name, Lord. Oh, we praise your name, O oh God. Let the atmosphere be charged with the power of the Holy Ghost. Let the faith bank rise. That sons and daughters of God can lay a hold of something real. Oh, I pray that somebody will hear the name being called. It's your turn to go see the doctor. Your name has been called. You put a promise of God upon your lips. No matter what your situation is. If you need the Holy Ghost, come receive it. If you need healing, come receive it. I believe it. I believe in the word of God. He is faithful who has made a promise. Not only did he promise, he swore by himself. He swore by himself that he will keep his word. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Musicians, why don't you come? As you're playing your instruments, why don't you pray? Why don't you put it up on your lips? You also have needs. Oh God, touch our musicians. Give them the heart's desire. There is a promise. Move, oh spirit of living God. Have our own way, Lord. Serving a living God. Bless your name. Bless your name, O oh God. Do you know the song, uh, The Goodness of God? All my life you have been faithful. Can you play that song? Dan, can I call you for a second? Can you help me sing this song that's been on my heart? Is God faithful? I said, is he faithful? You have to respond by the affirmative towards the promise of God. Is he faithful? Is he your healer? Is he your redeemer? God is good, saints. Don't let the devil lie to you. This is not a dead religion. God's power is alive. God is real. I believe it with all my heart. And I can tell you, if somebody here tonight got a hold of faith, you will receive it. I believe it. We're living in the goodness of God. I love you, Lord, for your mercy never fails me.
I think, saints of God, we can open up our lips and we can praise him tonight. You have heard the word of the Lord. God has spoken to us and we can receive it and say, I receive it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. We sung that since a little boy and a little girl. If you can't get liberated in this presence, there's something wrong. If you can't reach into the promises and reach within that veil, say, that's mine. I'm like Abraham's seed. I take that promise. The promise is only as good as that one that has the character. And that is the character of God. Amen. He's got the weight. He's got the, he's got the substance. I don't know why we don't charge heaven right now. And say, God, give me my children in the name of Jesus Christ. Take away that latency in spirit. Let there be a fervency within my soul. We got heaven to gain. We got latency in the sun. Hallelujah. What you heard tonight was thus saith the Lord. It's the word of God. I don't care what vessel God uses. It's God himself. Look beyond the veil. See Jesus Christ in his word. We say we are the word made flesh today. This is what the scriptures say. We're the bride. She's him. And now you're seeing it on display. It's not age. It's not youth. It's God. Amen. We've been having revival amongst us. Service after service. The Holy Spirit's been moving. The waters have been troubling. Can you jump in? Don't be a spectator. Be a participant. If you want joy, if you want peace, if you want deliverance, you heard it tonight. If by you saying amen, you're God in a contract. Amen, Brother Gilbert. Your children are yours. I deny Satan. I deny unbelief. People looking for a camp meeting, you've got a camp meeting. Last Wednesday, last Sunday. If you don't know what a prayer meeting is all about, you better show up on a Monday night. You watch these warriors start praying. They'll lift you into heavenly places. God's been moving, saints of God. And I got to believe that it's to shake us out of our own thoughts of what we think God is and take him at his word tonight. I'm sorry. If you just come to church on a Wednesday night just to fill out a time space, go to the bowling alley. Go to the theater. Go somewhere. But I came to church tonight to see God. And I want to say to you, I saw God. Amen. Children of Israel camped around that tent of tabernacles. And that pillar of fire was hanging over that word. I want to tell you tonight, the pillar of fire is hanging over you, hanging over these brothers. And we're on the move to the great exodus. Amen, Brother George. Why would you want to miss something like this? I'll pick Wednesday night or might come Sunday. Saints, if you don't want to come, don't come. Just come with expectation. And look what God will do amongst you. He'll do exceedingly, abundantly, even more than you can even ask or think. I like to see some of these young people actually have some expression. 
actually lift up their hands, lift up their voices. I remember when I couldn't say amen. And when I said my first amen, my face went red. I thought, oh, the people are going to think I'm trying to be religious. But it was just something in me that says it's the amen. Amening the amen. Hallelujah. Listen, I don't even want to, I don't want a coffee. I don't even leave this room right now. I don't want to leave it because I know the presence of God is amongst us. Remember those deer on that mountain when that prophet, when the voice of the Lord said, go back up. And there was a, there was the deer standing there. And he says, I give you your life. He took the rifle and says, I give you your life. What were they like? What were they wanting to be around? The presence of the Lord. Brother Darren, this is what we live for. This is what we live for. These are times when you put Renisha's name on your lips. Uh-huh. Not in the mind, but on the lips. You put a positive confession. The right mental attitude towards any promise of God. It will come to pass. Not it might come to pass. It will come to pass. Amen. That's what I heard tonight. I didn't hear doubt. I didn't believe, hear unbelief. I heard the word. I don't know about you, but I'm supercharged. I hope your heart's supercharged tonight. Sister Rachel, this is the kind of presence that breaks every fetter. Amen. We're expecting that arthritis to leave. We're expecting it to go. It's not a hope so, it's a no so. I'm in a contract, I heard tonight. Amen. We've entered in a contract. It's a binding contract. I love it, Brother John. God bless you. Amen. God bless you. Oh, God, I just want to praise him tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Brother Larry. We've been along this road a long time. But one day we're going to take one step into that other dimension. The next hand you shake may be the hand of the Savior. This is the atmosphere we're living for. Hallelujah. Amen. Don't miss it, saints. Don't miss it. It is the goodness of God. Father, 
we are rejoicing in the august presence of the almighty God. We know that in this presence, Lord, the supernatural is being done. Lord, we prayed and we believed for this service tonight. We've prayed, we believe for service after service. Lord, you've never disappointed us. And so, God, I'm just praying in the name of Jesus Christ that all our hearts would be supercharged in the presence of the Lord. That we can tell Satan tonight, you are defeated by the word of God. I'll put those words on my lips as we hear. We've been taught right, Lord, by your word. And so, Father, with our hearts just quaking, just desiring the moving of the Holy Spirit in every area of our lives, drive out any unbelief that's amongst us, Lord. God, that you will baptize each and every one with the great baptism of God, that we'll come with greater expectation, service after service after service. Lord, we're just asking once again for the Pruitt family, praying, Lord, that the presence of the Almighty, Lord, that you would cover them, comfort them, strengthen them. And as we heard tonight, let the peace of God flow through them, Lord. The assembly and all, especially our precious brother Tim and his children, Lord, we pray. Lord, go with each and every one. And may this glorious presence of the Lord Jesus go with us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. Don't you love him tonight? Don't you love the Lord? Don't you love his word? Don't you love the atmosphere? He is so, so good. He is so wonderful. All my life, he's been so faithful. Oh, so faithful, Brother George. And all my life, you've been so, so good. With every breath I've been Oh, Jesus, Jesus. I will sing. Hallelujah. What an anthem. We're ending this service, Lord. after righteousness for here's your promise they shall be filled may God fill you that hunger and thirst after righteousness you're dismissed in Jesus name just obey the Holy Spirit however you want you want to sit and worship you want to stand and worship you just go right ahead but you're dismissed in Jesus name God bless you